Hello again. Let's pray as we come to look at these words. Uh, you can have them open in front of you and also your outline to see where we're going. Our gracious Father, we thank you again for the clarity of your word uh, and the things that it shows us that are wonderful, that are good, that are blessings, as well as the things that challenge us. Please give us insight into a hard word tonight and give us uh, the right response to these words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever done the Sydney coastal walk before along those city beaches. Uh, I'm sure lots of you have. It's this really, really nice walk. It's one of the great things about living in Sydney, I think. There's uh, lots of beautiful sights along the way. You've got the water on one side. You've got the beautiful landscape on the other side. Uh, But one of the most striking things that you see on this walk is this. Waverley Cemetery. If there was ever a picture that captured the reign of death, I think this one would be one of them. See, in a bustling city, the bustling city of Sydney, supposedly full of life and prosperity as people walk along that boardwalk in their activewear, you know, being fit, all that kind of thing, uh, in a city where you could want, you could have anything that you want, really. In that city, all of a sudden, sits this giant cemetery with over 100,000 people buried in it. Have you ever done that walk and then just got to this spot and just kind of had this weird feeling inside? If you haven't, I'm sure you can imagine. It's a stark, stark reminder. Death reigns. It always wins. And that's just, just think about it. It's just one graveyard of the countless graveyards across the whole world, let alone all the unmarked graves of the world, graves on the battlefield, in the wilderness, at the bottom of the sea even. Death reigns. We just see it everywhere we go. What can we do about it? What can we do about it? Nothing. But in our passage today, Romans tells us, Jesus can, and only he has. So we're in now week nine of our series into Romans. Well done if you've been tracking with us the entire time. Uh, Let's be reminded of where we've been so that we're ready to hear the words that we're looking at tonight. So where have we been? What have we seen? Well, in we're going to kind of race through the first few chapters. Uh, Well, in chapters one to three, we saw, didn't we? We are helpless in sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Of ourselves, there is no one righteous, not even one. But, there's the biggest but in the Bible in Romans chapter 3. But now, in chapter 3, we saw we can be justified freely through Christ. Even though we're sinners, we can be declared righteous in God's sight through the death of Jesus. And then chapter 4, this is all by faith alone. It comes not by us, not because of our works, but not because of what we do, but just by trusting in Jesus, by believing in the one who raised him from the dead. And so because of all this, last week we saw chapter 5, because of all this, we have certain hope, peace with God, full assurance that God will save us. And it's all through Jesus. In him we see that no one loves us 
like God does, who sent his son to die while we were sinners, while we were his enemies. Hasn't it been good to work through these chapters of Romans together? But then in our passage today, well, Paul, he goes on that same vein of assurance that he has been talking about. He continues on that train of thought. He gives us more reasons, more hope to know that our certainty is sure. And he does this, again, so that we would understand, so that we would be joyful, so that we would have that assurance he wants us to have. But in true Paul style, as he typically does, what does he do? He shows us first the bad news before he then gets to the good news. Before he shows us how certain our hope is, he shows us again just how hopeless we are without Jesus. So we're going to get into the first part of our passage. You can see it there on your outline. What Paul wants to show us, what he wants to bring to our attention is that truth that we see in our world every day. Death reigns. Have a look at Romans 5 verse 12. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, Paul, he's hopefully showing us what we already know from Genesis chapter 3, from the beginning of the Bible. We read about it just before. Uh, what, we, what do we read there? We read that Adam, he's the one man that's talked about in this passage. Adam sinned against God's command, the command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because he did that, because he did what God clearly said not to do, Adam was punished with death. Look at Genesis 3. It's on the screen here for you. What does God say to Adam? He says, You, Adam, you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. And so because of Adam's great sin, he died. But Paul says, and we know from history, Paul says, so do all people. All people die and all people are sinners because of Adam and because of his sin. Adam's sin equals death for all. Now, for someone who knows and understands that those early chapters of the Bible, that kind of comes as no surprise. We know, we can see death and sin in the world. And Genesis 3, well, that's just the simple explanation for it. But Paul, he's actually saying just something a little bit deeper than just that. Because look at what he goes on to say in verse 13. Romans 5, verse 13, he says, In fact, sin was in the world before the law, the Old Testament law, but sin is not charged to a person's account where there is no law. I prayed before that God would give us insight into these challenging words. These are hard to understand. But do you see what he's saying? Let's look at it. He's saying, yes, people were sinful after Adam, after the first man. Yes, they inherit his sinful human nature, and so they sin. But Paul also says, but God doesn't charge people for their sin when there is no law. He doesn't unfairly charge people for their sin when he hasn't revealed his commands to them. Now, from time to time in the Old Testament and in those early chapters of Genesis... God does reveal his commands, or he does reveal his ways to this person or that person here and there. But he revealed his commands in the biggest way. How? When he gave his law to Moses. When he gave his law to his people in the book of Exodus. 
So God, he doesn't charge people with sin without that law that condemns them. But look at verse 14. But Paul says, nevertheless, despite sin not being charged without the law, death still reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who didn't sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. Again, this is not easy to grasp. I'm going to say that a few times tonight. But look at what he's saying. He's saying people, the people between Adam the first man and then Moses, the one who gave God's law, the people between Adam and Moses, they all died. They faced death, even though they might not have sinned like Adam did by breaking a command of God. And so in that period, no matter who you were, whether you're a man or a woman, a rich or poor, tall or short, from this land or from that land, from the very youngest to the oldest, people faced death. Even those who didn't have any command of God or didn't have God's law like Adam did, don't eat the fruit. Even over those who didn't have the law like the Israelites had, they all died without the law. Why? How does that work? The answer for Paul is, death reigned through Adam. Death reigned because of his sin. See, death reigns, people die, the cemeteries keep filling up, not only because every person sins, but death also reigns, first of all, because of Adam's sin. We are charged with his sin. That's how people who don't break a command like Adam or like the Jews, that's how they still die. His sin is counted against them. So look at verse 12 again. This is Paul's meaning. Through the one man, Adam, and through his one sin, death spread to all people. Death reigns and rules over all people, over all time, because of Adam, because of his one sin. Stretching your mind a little bit. That's okay. And what we see Paul say from here on is actually saying this over and over again really clearly. So we're going to look at it just quickly in the rest of the passage. Have a look at some of these verses. I'm going to put them on the screen for you just so you can see them in stark relief. Look at verse 15. He says, By the one man's trespass, the many died. Verse 16, From one sin came the judgment and condemnation. Verse 17, By the one man's trespass, death reigned. Verse 18, Through one trespass, there was condemnation for everyone. Verse 19, through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So, do we die, do we face death because of our sin or because of Adam's sin? The Bible's answer is both. We, we are double guilty. Paul, he's already established, hasn't he, that, that all people are sinful in and of themselves. They are without excuse. They are under the judgment of God for their own sin. But here, Paul, he declares another parallel truth. The parallel truth that we are also guilty of Adam's sin. And we die because of his sin. This is the word, uh, sorry, we've been seeing as we go, haven't we, in the book of Romans, these big words ending in shun. 
Here's a new one for you today. It's the word imputation. This is the word we use to say that Adam's sin is credited or counted or charged or reckoned to us. Even though we didn't do it. See, we weren't in the garden. You weren't there, were you? You didn't eat the fruit. We didn't transgress God's command like Adam did. But as the first human, his sin and his guilt is then imputed to us. It's as if we were there. It's as if we did do that sin. And so we die for his sin. It's counted against us. How is that fair? And how can God see us like that if he's just and if he doesn't show favoritism and if he judges according to our works, as we've seen? The answer lies in the truth that we, that all people are in Adam. We're going to keep stretching our minds, okay? We're all connected to Adam, the scriptures say. We're all descended from Adam. We are human, and as the first human... Because he's the first human, we are all in him. Now, at this stage, we're starting to border kind of on the edge of what we can know. See, God's word shows us we are in Adam, and we want to know more about that. But then the scriptures don't give us much more about that. God hasn't revealed it to us in his word. And so as we tread here, we tread carefully and we tread humbly. We want to affirm what God's word says without speculating about the things that it doesn't say. Now, many Christians have wrestled with this idea of being in Adam, of his sin being imputed, counted to us. Uh, And one of the most helpful things I've read is this. It's by John Piper, an American pastor. He says this. He says, there's a deep and mysterious connection. We, We can't fully comprehend it. There's a deep and mysterious connection with Adam, whose sin became our sin and whose judgment became our judgment. God ordains that there be a union of some kind that makes Adam's sin to be our sin, so that our condemnation is just. As descendants of Adam, we are in Adam. And God justly punishes us all with death. Or another way to think about it is this. Think about the king or the leader of a country. Uh, when it, what, a, what a king does impacts all his nation. When he declares war, the whole country is at war with him. When he makes a good or a bad decision, it impacts all of his citizens. When a king dies in battle, what happens to his army? They fall. Adam is like our leader, our king. He represents us, and so everything that he does and what happens to him Well, it impacts us too, all of us. We find this really hard to grapple with in our individualistic culture, don't we? But even in our individualistic culture, we still have some sense, some of this idea that there is such a thing as communal responsibility. We see it in indigenous indigenous issues, and we see it in things like royal commissions, the idea that as a society we are to blame for certain things, even if we didn't personally do the deed. Even in our individualistic society, we still have this idea of communal responsibility, of common wrong and guilt. So what's Paul's point? Are you still confused? That's okay. The big picture here is that death reigns through Adam. Adam's sin equals 
death for all, and so humanity is once and true, again, well and truly stuffed. And so again, with that dark picture in place, Paul can now talk about what he really wants to talk about. Now that we know that death reigns, Paul can show us in the rest of the passage how we can reign in life and how grace reigns through Jesus. That's the next two points we'll be looking at. So you can see the reason Paul brings up Adam is so that he can talk about Jesus. The reason he brings up death through Adam is so he can talk about life through Christ. The reason he brings up condemnation is so he can talk about justification again. Because at this point, Paul, he starts comparing Adam and Jesus and what each of their actions mean for humanity. So let's keep stretching our minds. Let's keep going. And the first comparison that he makes is that Jesus' gift is not like Adam's trespass. So Look at verse 15. Out of this bad news flows the incredible good news. Verse 15. The gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ? What is the gift here? It's what we've been seeing all along through Romans. It's the gift of righteousness that comes through Jesus. It's the same gift that we've been hearing about all along, being declared right before God, by Jesus' death for us and through our faith in him. That's the gift. So what is the trespass? Well, it's what we've seen, isn't it? It's Adam's sin. When Adam disobeyed and trespassed against God's command in the garden. So how is this gift and this trespass, how are they different? Well, first, Adam's sin and Jesus' gift. I'm going to get these the wrong way around, sorry. But you can, you can cope, you can travel with me. Adam's sin and Jesus' gift have complete opposite results. So just scan your eyes over verses 15 to 17 for a second. What does Adam's sin result in? Death, condemnation, judgment for everyone. But what does Jesus' gift of righteousness result in? God's grace overflowing, justification, being made righteous before God, reigning in life instead of death reigning. So Adam's sin and Jesus' gift, total opposite results. But how else are Jesus' gift and Adam's... I'm telling you, I'm getting this the wrong way around, but that's okay. Adam's sin and Jesus' gift, how are they different? How else? Second, Adam's sin and Jesus' gift, they have different strength, different power. Think about it like this. So imagine it like an arm wrestle. So imagine Jesus and Adam, they sit down <clears throat> excuse me, at a table for an arm wrestle. There's tension in the air. They lock hands together and the ref says, ready, set, go. And it's just like, bang, Jesus wins. No contest at all. And in fact, in the process, Jesus smashes the table and rips off Adam's arm. <laughs> the point of that is not so much the violence. That's not really what Jesus is like. The point is the difference in strength. In power. It will be like me arm wrestling my four year old daughter, Harley. You know, I'm not the most muscly man in the room, let's be honest, but I can definitely win an arm wrestle against my daughter who's four years old. I'm just stronger than she is. It's just a fact. Trust me. <laughs> Jesus' gift is stronger 
than Adam's sin. Jesus' gift of righteousness is powerful enough to completely overcome Adam's sin and all of its consequences. This is that how much more argument that we saw last week. So look at verse 15. He says, How much more have the grace of God and the gift of righteousness overflowed because of what Jesus has done? Well, look at verse 16. He says, Following many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. In other words, Jesus' gift, it's stronger than all the sin that preceded it. It's stronger than Adam's one sin, and then it's stronger than the billions of sins that followed, because by his gift, it's all undone. Powerful enough to overcome death and judgment and condemnation. Jesus wins the arm wrestle, no contest. You can see his big point, verse 17. Read it with me. He says, Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Before, we were talking about how we're all in Adam. Here, Paul's talking about the fact that we can be in Christ. This is a beautiful truth of Scripture. The all people are united to Adam, connected to him. And if you receive the gift of righteousness, then you are in Jesus, united to him, connected to him. So if we are that, if we are in Christ, we receive the overflow of God's grace. We receive the gift of righteousness by faith, and so we can be sure. We can be sure that Adam's sin and all its effects are undone for us. We can be sure that instead of death reigning over us, we will reign in life into all eternity, raised to life on the last day, given a place in God's new creation, never to die again. And it's all through Jesus. Jesus' gift is so much stronger than Adam's sin. Now that Paul has shown us that Adam and Jesus are different, very different, he now shows us how they're similar. And he shows us that grace reigns through Jesus. And to show us this, Paul again, he compares Adam's act of sin with Jesus' act of righteousness. So we've got one more part of the passage. Let's keep going. Let's keep stretching our minds. Let's look at verse 18. Paul says, So then, this is his conclusion. So then, as through one trespass, that's Adam's act of sin, there is condemnation from everyone, for everyone. We've seen that. So also, through Jesus' one act of righteousness, there is life-giving justification for everyone. So what's the same about Adam and Jesus here? What's the same is that both of them did one thing, and that one thing, that one act, had huge all-encompassing results on humanity. You have already explored Adam's one act of sin. He disobeyed in the garden and all die. But what is Jesus' one act of righteousness? 
What is it that Jesus did that brings life-giving justification? He says it another way in verse 19. Have a look there. For just as through one man's disobedience, Adam sinned, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. What is that one act of Jesus, the one act of righteousness that brings life-giving justification? When was Jesus obedient so that many would be made righteous? The cross. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The front and center in Paul's mind is the cross of Christ. His, his righteous act of obedience to his Father's will. That one act that changed everything. Is it easy to take that for granted? It is. But never underestimate, never downplay, never forget the cross of Christ. Just as Adam's sin changed the whole course of history and humanity and all those in him, so Jesus' act, his cross, changes things, affects all those who are in him. You see, this is where it starts to make more sense that we are charged with Adam's sin. Because if we are charged with Adam's sin, though we didn't do it, well, that means that we can be given Jesus' righteousness, that we have done nothing righteous. Just as Adam's sin is charged to us, so Jesus' righteousness is given to us. That's how God's grace works. Remember that big word, imputation. Adam's sin is imputed to us, yes, but then Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us. We are counted righteous in Christ because we are credited with his perfect righteousness. And the cross is what makes that possible. He died so that his righteousness could be given to us imputed to us, given as a gift. It's like taking off our dirty, ragged rags and being given fresh, clean, bright clothes to wear. We are counted as sinners in Adam, but we are counted righteous in Christ. Adam's sin equals death for all. Jesus' righteousness equals life for all. So the cross of Christ has overthrown the reign of sin and death. So now grace reigns instead. That's what verse 20 and 21 are about. We're not going to go into them in a lot of depth. God's grace reigns supreme. Grace has undone what sin and death and Adam have done. God's grace has conquered by making people righteous through the death of God's Son. So look at the end of verse 21. What does all this result in? It all results in, Paul says, it all results in not death, not judgment, not a quiet grave by the sea. No, God's grace reigns, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Are you blown away by that? You see, do you see why now he's telling us all these things? So that as we live in a world of sin and death, we would know we have eternal life. In Jesus. 
This is just another way of him showing us how wonderful justification is. Another lens to look at what Jesus did for us on the cross. Another way to give us assurance of hope, of eternal life. And so that leaves us with two questions to finish. Number one, the first question. This is the most important question that you can ask or ever answer. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ and united and connected to him by faith? Or are you in Adam? Whose team are you on? Because if you are not in Christ and united with him, then by default, you are in Adam. Descended from him, joined with him in the sin and death that is his. Death reigns over you if you are in Adam. One day it will take your life and then, and then you'll stand before the judgment seat of God and there is no hope for you on that day if you are in Adam. But if you do what Paul says in verse 17, if you receive God's grace, if you receive the gift of Jesus' righteousness, if you are then in Christ, united to him, then you have every blessing that this passage talks about. The overflow of God's grace. The gift of being righteous in God's sight through the cross. Reigning in life. So death reigns over you no more. So are you in Christ? Have you received these great promises through faith in Jesus? Through trusting in him? That's what these words cry out and plea for you to do if you haven't. So that you too can reign in life. And experience the reign of God's grace. But for the many of us who have put our faith in Jesus. Who have accepted this gift of righteousness. The question is again, can I be sure? Can I be sure of my salvation in a world where sin and death reigns? Like last week, the answer is yes. The one man Jesus, his one act of righteous obedience, it's undone the sin and death of Adam. It's undone all the things that we see all around us every day. Like a king leading his army into battle, well, Adam, he falls and so does all the people following him. But Jesus, he wins, he triumphs. And so his people, those in him, enjoy all the spoils. Adam's, Jesus and Adam, uh, they are similar, but Jesus is so much stronger. What we have in him is so much better. And it's all by God's grace. It's all God's work, isn't it? It's all through Jesus. Why do we doubt? Look to the cross of Jesus. Why do we fear? Look to the one man, Jesus, and what he has done for us. See, it can be tempting, can't it, to, to doubt God, to doubt these things when we look at the world ruled by sin and death, a world of overflowing cemeteries that, that just keep growing. But we have the promise, we have the sure hope that Adam's sin and all that it means is undone. You and I can't do anything about it, but Jesus has, and only he can. So instead of uh, death reigning, our experience is, verse 21, our experience is grace reigning through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Amen.